On Sicily is presented by Experience Sicily, boutique small group tours and creative travel planning. During On Sicily, Experience Sicily's owner and curator, Alison Scola, shares her passion for Sicily, aiming to inspire your senses through conversations with inviting and knowledgeable locals. Discover 3,000 years of human history, explore the island's fascinating culture and cuisine, and ignite your curiosity about this enchanting region of Italy. Learn more at experiencesicily.com. A gifted and riveting storyteller, Rosa Rizza, has led tours throughout Sicily since 1995. Still today, she experiences her native land with love in her eyes and with the joy of discovery that her clients possess. One can't talk about Sicily without considering the ancient myth of the goddesses Demeter and Core, or Persephone. An agricultural society from the time of the ancient Greeks, the 4,000-year-old story of mother and daughter and the circle of life and death helped the leadership of the Sicilian colony establish a new civilization and create a sustainable livelihood from which Sicilians still benefit today. Well, the pomegranate represents love, passion, fertility, and just in case, it was sort of like a spell, if you will. And so Persephone's forced to eat the pomegranate. That was the deal. Persephone's is then led out of the underground. And once she came back up and out onto the earth and up to Mount Olympus, well, that's when Demetra, our mother earth, was so filled with joy, was so happy that everything began to bloom. The fruits began to grow. And of course, the wheat also began to grow. This is Alison Scola of Experience Sicily. Thank you for joining me for On Sicily. The practices and devotion to the pre-Christian mystery cult of Demeter and Persephone pervaded the ancient Greek world. Historians believe that such veneration existed from about 1600 before Common Era through 392 Common Era, when it was outlawed and sent underground by the Roman Christian Emperor Theodosius. Imagine it, for 2,000 years, generations of ancient Mediterranean people practiced the Eleusinian rites, observing the cycle of life and death through this Mother Earth goddess and her child and their deep connection. This vital story told to understand the annual seasons and the cycle of life supported devotees to no longer fear death, but to live life fully with a significant sacred connection to the earth and understanding their contribution to its perpetuation. Uh, the cult of uh, Demetra and Core, of Demeter, the Mother Earth, probably came to us um, through the Egyptians. Even though I know that uh, everyone talks about the Greek civilization, it's true. It's also true, though, that um, the first real um, sites, uh, areas, temples that were built in honor of Demetra were built by the Greeks. So maybe we should start with them. Who is Demetra? Demetra is um, the mother, Mother Earth. 
the goddess of the earth, the woman. The goddess of the grain, the goddess of the harvest, the goddess of fertility. She is very important in the lexicon of Greek gods. She is Zeus's sister. And Zeus also had a brother who wasn't such a nice guy, and his name was Pluto. Uh, Zeus and Pluto argued continuously. Obviously, there was a, a bit of jealousy there. And between the two, Zeus, uh, let's say, won and condemned his brother to the underground. So now we have the gods on Mount Olympus, and then we have Pluto. Now, is the Pluto underground. the Greek name or the Roman name? The Greek name. Ah, okay. Right. The so we're Greek talking name. Greek names here. So okay. In Italian, it's Plutone. Demetra, Plutone. Now, we also have to talk about the, the sort of time frame we're in. We're talking about BCE, before Common Era. So what we're like 1600 in, in terms of Greek, uh, the beginnings of this cult in Greece is maybe 1600 BC. But when we're talking about Sicily, we're talking about... Now, we know for sure that the Greeks came and went and used the Eastern coastline for trading purposes for hundreds and hundreds of years before the actual colonization, but the real official date of the colonization is 735 BC. Right. Uh, a group of travelers, I want to call them, a group of immigrants uh, first uh, approached uh, our, our area in order to build uh, that wonderful city that still exists, which is called Naxos. These people came from their homeland, which was called Naxo. So, it's not a coincidence, Naxos. The word Naxos means the cave. And from there on, from 735 on, um, all of the other areas of, of, of Greece obviously figured out that if the inhabitants of Naxos could build a city and possibly give their families, their children, um, a, a better life, then um, they could do it too. And they did. In fact, one year later, we have the building of Syracos, which is the uh, authentic name of Syracuse, Syracuse, mm -hmm. 34 BC, uh, 729 Catania, 727 uh, Zancle, which is the real name of Messina. And so within 200 years time, the eastern coastline of Sicily had been completely, entirely inhabited and taken over by the Greek civilization. And so because of this, this is how and why today we still talk about Demetra, the cult of Earth, Demeter. Of course, between then and now, well, a few things have happened, but the cult and the belief of the mother, of the mother Earth, still exists today and how and how. Right, so, and the fact that it's an agricultural society, and we know that agriculture still is the main economy and in, in industry in Sicily, it's really important when you're talking about agriculture, that's the focus, that the goddess of the grain, the goddess of fertility, the goddess of the harvest is so essential exactly. to the culture. Exactly. Sicily became uh, truly the so-called breadbasket of the Mediterranean, though, under the Romans. The Roman Empire takes over in 212 BC. Therefore, from that moment on, I think the Romans were pretty smart in understanding that to be able to sustain the rest of the empire, was through Sicily. And so Sicily became uh, one of the most important regions in regards to farming 
And well, guess what? Has it changed? We still provide wheat now. <laughs> um, the Romans, they were smart and looked ahead. And most likely if it hadn't been the fact that the Romans officially turned us in, into the breadbasket of the Mediterranean today, uh, we'd probably be in trouble. Chapeau uh, to the Romans, I have to say. As much as we don't want to, we have to thank them, right? <laughs> yeah, they're okay. <laughs> mythological protagonists and this vital ancient Greek story of Demeter and Kore, her daughter, Kore meaning maiden, who transforms into what we commonly call her today, Persephone. Could you start from the beginning and explain how do we get to Persephone from this young maiden? Persephone being the daughter of Demetra always had other maidens that, um, you know, would always sustain her and give her a bath and flowers in her hair. She was beautiful. And uh, the young lady one day was bored and said, uh, Mama, I, I, I want to go down to the earth. I want to smell the flowers. I want to, I want to go swimming. I want to see. I want to know. And at first Demetra wasn't too happy about it, but in the end, uh, the young lady, beautiful Persephone, managed uh, to convince her mother, and her mother allows her to go down to the earth. She's followed by, by all the Ancelle, the other maidens that are supposed to take care of her, mm. and are supposed to keep an eye on her, because you never know. And as Persephone's walks down to the earth, she finds herself on a beautiful island, the mountain covered on the peak with snow and smoke puffing. Take a wild guess, Sicilia. And she managed to climb up to the top of this magnificent cliff to, to see the view of our beautiful island. And there she was enchanted by the sound of water. Well. She was so taken that she got closer and closer, and that place is called Lago di Pervusa, near a place called Enna. Enna, which is the highest community in Sicily at a thousand square meters above sea level, and it's like another world. Literally another world. So the beautiful maiden Persephone was swimming. Meanwhile, though, there were other things happening. Let's not forget that Zeus had a brother called Plutone, let's not forget Pluto. Pluto lived in the underground, underneath the earth, where it was dark, where it was hot and cold, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of sunlight. And, and so- this, is, this place is called Hades, right? This is what the Greeks called it? They called it Hades, exactly. And so he decides that he needs a little bit of air. And so he manages to make his way up from the underground, from Hades, up and up he went. He had a carriage, by the way. Uh, it's called Biga. That's what the, um, uh, in Italian, that's how it's called. And with his carriage, with his Biga, he makes his way all the way up and out and 
guess where he ends up? Lago, Lago di Pergusa, right. where, our, where our beautiful maiden was swimming. He right. turns around and he sees Persephone and he was blinded by her beauty. And so he decides that he's going to get her, take her into the underground with him. And that's exactly what he does. The poor young lady had no clue to what was happening. And all of the maidens around her that were supposed to guard her tried to help her. And that's when Chane, her faithful maiden, tried to grab the young lady away from the arms in the embrace of uh, Pluto, but in vain. Our friend, our god Pluto, was so upset that someone had even dared to interfere that he pushes her violently up against uh, the mountain stone. And well, that place today has the, the cave is there. Supposedly, Chane, in order, in other words, he punishes her. Not only does he push her up against the stone, but he transforms her into water. And uh. well, uh, see. And if you go to Siracusa, we have a river called Chane. Supposedly, that's where the beautiful maiden ended up. And not only that, but Chane is the um, major river. It's not a big river. It's, uh, it's, it's about eight kilometers. It's not that big. But on the river Chane, we have the um, most lush and most beautiful area of Sicily where the papyrus plant grows spontaneously. And this is why if you visit the city of Siracusa, you're going to find papyrus uh, everywhere. In other words, you're going to think you're in Egypt, but you're not, you're in Siracusa. Siracusa and the Nile are the only two uh, areas where a papyrus grows spontaneously. Also because that section of Sicily is actually part of the African plate. When Absolutely. you're talking about the, the Earth's Absolutely. crust. Right, Absolutely. so Sicily so and Egypt are very connected in that sense. Well, um, if you visit um, any of the museums, uh, for instance, uh, the Paolo Orsi, if you go to the museum uh, in Messina, you're going to see that in many areas in the museum, especially in the Paolo Orsi, we have a lot, a lot of artifacts that uh, remind us of Egypt. The Egyptians were the first people to actually start trading along these Sicilian coastlines, being on the western side, but mostly primarily on the eastern side. And in fact, I mentioned that earlier that uh, the eastern coastline was one of the most trading emporiums of the whole entire Mediterranean. So it's obvious that the Sicilians are connected with Egypt. Plus we, thanks to Pliny, uh, the elder, he's the one that taught, if you will, the Syracusans the art of um, making actual papyrus paper. Go back to Persephone. Yes. So what happened to her? Yes, well, what happened to her? What happened to Persephone? Well, she becomes, uh, even against her will, can I call her the wife of Pluto? I'm going to. Yes, yeah, sure. They unite. Let's go and think of, though, what happened to Demetra, her mother, the goddess, the earth. 
Demetra was devastated when the maidens returned back to Mount Olympus and told her what had occurred. She was so upset, she was furious, that she decides to speak with Zeus. Let's also remember that Zeus and Pluto are brothers. And she pleads to Zeus to do something so that uh, her beautiful daughter, Persephone, could return with her. But Zeus doesn't want to hear about it. He's a man. What can you do? And <laughs> right. And he he decides to just ignore her. At first she gives up, but then nine days go by, and her fury grew and grew and grew. At this point, she thought, "Well, if you don't do something about it, I will." But during these nine days, slowly but surely, on the earth something had changed. Due to the fact that Demetra was the mother goddess, it's obvious that the earth felt her anger. And so, slowly but surely, everything started to die. All the flowers wilted, the fruits weren't growing, and the humans were crying, help, help, what are we going to do? We have to talk to the gods. And that was a good thing in her favor. And after nine days that the earth became dry and arid and the humans cried, she decided to try again. And so she went to Zeus and said, this is blackmail. Either yeah. you do something about bringing my daughter back or the earth will just die. And at that point, Zeus really didn't have a choice. But how was he going to handle this? with his brother. Well, he sends down Mercury to see if a deal could be made. Of course, Mercury was very good at talking and he, he knew how to handle business. And they come to a final conclusion. And that was that fourth of the year, our beautiful young lady could leave her husband come back up to Mount Olympus and be with her mother. The rest of the year, she had to stay around with her husband. Meanwhile, as all of this was occurring and, you know, the deal was being made, well, Pluto feared that once um, Persephone would come back up and out of the underground, that he would lose her forever. And he decides to make a deal with her too. He makes her eat seven berries of melograno, in other words, uh, of our beautiful pomegranate. Well, the pomegranate represents love, passion, fertility, and just in case, it was sort of like a spell, if you will. And so Persephone is forced to eat the pomegranate. That was the deal. Persephone is then led out of the underground, and once she came back up and out onto the earth and up to Mount Olympus, well, that's when Demetra, our mother earth, was so filled with joy, was so happy that everything began to bloom, the fruits began to grow, and of course the wheat also began to grow. And because of this story, it is believed still today, and it is said that when winter arrives, 
it's because Persephone has returned in the underground with her husband. And therefore, during the rest of the months of the year, when Persephone is with her mother, the earth is happy. So this story has a lot to do with our culture. I mean, we, we, we still tell these the story to, to our children. Yeah, I learned it as a kid, for sure. Even uh, reading my Greek mythology as a young girl, I absolutely remember this. It's so important. For it us. is very important. And so because it's part of our culture and because you can't forget that Sicily um, is, is a farming area, one of the most important things that we have that sustain not just us, but we sustain the economy today. I mean, the Greeks is one thing. But today, it's a whole other story. And therefore, without us, without this wheat, come on, we wouldn't have pizza. <laughs> so important. Oh, pasta. So many <laughs> For things. For pasta. Wheat is, our, is the soul and the center of our country. I have to say that um, during the Greek era, in all of the cities and the surrounding area outside of the city walls, everybody farmed wheat. And in fact, the uh, civilization of that time, in other words, if you don't have wheat, you don't have civilization because farming in general will unite people. Well, and also the seasons and the recognizing the schedule, putting people on a schedule as well is really important in terms of founding a civilization and, and governing. So See, it's a way to live your life. Mm -hmm. Okay, and even today in our families, we still have you know, a grandfather, an uncle, a cousin who has campagna. Having a campagna, campagna means that you're out in the country. Due to the way that our cities are built, we still tend to build in the ancient Greek and Roman way. Our homes, we don't have yards. There's no such thing as a yard. Right. We don't have a right. yard. No. Because the reason is simple. All the way back uh, in the Greek period, in order to have a safe city, all of the houses were built wall to wall, close to each other. Building this way creates a sort of a fortification wall. And therefore, it's protection. That's why we don't have yards. And we still do that. Okay. Right, and so our, our houses have. Campania, you got into the countryside to farm and to raise your right. crops. But exactly. you live in town because it's, it's protection. It's safe to live in town. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And today, um, this is still part of our culture and part of our uh, everyday life. In fact, it's not a coincidence that, for instance, the day after Easter, we call it Pasquetta, which means Little Easter, but Pasquetta has to be celebrated in Campania, out in the country, because that's the beginning of the season. That's when the wheat starts to come up. That's when everything is green. It's the Mother Earth responding to us. And we right, respond right. It's back. the rebirth. It is the rebirth. So yeah. it's the rebirth when you're talking about Persephone or coming to the upper world, or you're talking about uh, Jesus Christ being resurrected. It's, these stories are definitely related to each other in terms of their Absolutely. interpretation Absolutely. and Absolutely. when we celebrate them. Mm-hmm. By the way, the, the pomegranate is also connected with this because, well, it's a fruit, obviously. But the pomegranate, it looks as if the true origin goes all the way back to 
to the Jews, to Israel. A pomegranate should have 613 berries. It is said, do you know what the Torah is, no? Yes. The Jewish Torah? Yes, the Jewish book. 613 is also the number of the so-called prescriptions of the Torah. Really? Say. Wow, so it's related Say. to Jewish religion as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, yeah, and the pomegranate image, Melograno, is, is throughout all of the artwork and it's just the symbolism of it, of being fertility and what it means is very powerful and needs to, you know, keep your eye out for it. It's, it's everywhere. Pomegranate announces spring mm -hmm. because the flower of the pomegranate is very intense. It's a bright, bright red, beautiful flower. So it's kind of symbolic, too, that the flower comes out in spring. Very symbolic. But the fruit isn't ready to be harvested until, let's say, October. End of September, mm -hmm. beginning of October, depending on where you are on the island, because uh, it's also true that even though Sicily, you know, is one big island, nonetheless, the areas of the island, based on where you are, further south, for instance, uh, it's it could be hotter, colder. Yes, and the climate. The, the climate varies in less than like 40 kilometers right but so then each so each when area the pomegranate is ready to be harvested though that is generally when we imagine persephone is returning to the underworld <laughs> it's the time for her to return to the underworld and she brings the seeds with her absolutely right she so brings she brings the seeds, seeds underground and that's why we have uh, pomegranates Thanks to our young lady, our friend, Persephone, mm -hmm. this is how and why we have the pomegranates. And that, due to that legend, this is probably why um, we connect uh, still today the pomegranate to love. It is said that if you drink uh, a lot of pomegranate juice, it produces the instinct of lust. Oh, really? Therefore, yes. Mm. <laughs> Not only that, but it's a great antioxidant, mind yes, you. Yes, eh? that is true. <laughs>
as a musician, I, I think about this all the time. The, the sailors, for example, they were hearing music in different parts of the Mediterranean, finding new instruments, and then bringing it with them on the boat and then sharing it to some other part of the Mediterranean. So you, when you think about talking about this um, myth and all, all of these kinds of myths and these mystery cults, it, it, it starts, you could be, have something in Israel, like you're saying where modern day Israel is, uh, Lebanon, that area, and it could be carried Egypt through to Greece, through to Sicily, through to Calabria, all across where Monaco is and Nice, uh, along the whole Sardinia, uh, in Spain and Morocco, all these communities, Alexandria, e um, Egypt, these were all mixing and mingling these ideas and these cultures. No one was siloed from each other. These things were, were well known. All these ideas were well known throughout the Mediterranean along the coastlines, obviously. Then when you get in internal, it's a little different because they're not as uh, accessible and not as informed, let's say. But uh, that's something- Still that, today. Yeah, still, still today. today. And we see that <laughs> even in, in the United States, how different the in, internal states uh, are versus the coastal um, communities. So by the time these stories reached the hinterlands, someone had added, someone had taken away a little bit. In other words, the stories all entwined within each other. Mm -hmm. And that's why also, in other words, because of Demetra and Kore, and of course, all of the other gods and the stories and the myths and the, all of those incredible creatures that we know of, like uh, think of Pegasus and, and the, the Minotaurs in the hinterlands, the cities, right in the center, in the heart of the farming area, as you said, were sort of forgotten. But because twice a year, People had to go there in order to get the wheat. Mm -hmm. Like the stories, Anna. Like Anna, mm -hmm. the stories went back and forth. Today, we still have our processions. Yes, yeah, so the same, so, the, so, so talking about this, the, when you're talking about Demeter and, and Persephone, they had these processions in Greece were going on since 1600 BC, this, uh, the reenactment of this story of going into the underworld. It was part of the initiation of the rites of this cult. Um, and they brought those, those reenactments, those processions of the reenacting re and also taking their statues, their icons, they brought that to Sicily. And we Bravo. still do it today. It's still everywhere. We, the reason that the processions exist is because originally in order to be part of the, the secret society of Demetra, um, in order to take part in these rituals, which in a way were considered stregoneria, witchcraft, what we would call witchcraft today. Right. right. The initiations in order to take part in the cult were secret. Very one of, secret. One of the most incredible things about the initiations in regards to Demetra that we know for sure that the Greeks and the Romans, and even though all of the civilizations went through the different names, but the characters were always the same ones. In other words, the Mother Earth. Call her what you want, she's still the Mother Earth. But one of the most incredible things was that in order to be part, the initiation consisted in the person that was being initiated into the cult, if you will, would have to first 
be buried underground. Like a seed, maybe? Like a seed, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Or sometimes even in caves, chiseled in a canyon on a wall, on a stone wall. And um, then if you survived that and you came out of it, then you came back up into the light and therefore you have the second phase of the growth of the wheat. And then of course you were initiated and then someone else had to do it. So again, the three phases of wheat. Okay, so it's all connected. The reason that these people did this, obviously, um, and now I'm talking about the processions is because there were other people that feared these initiations and they didn't want to take part. And so they would tell the authorities. Right. Instead, if you do it openly and you have a procession and everybody follows you, it's not a secret anymore. And therefore the occult or these initiations, they were out in the open and everyone could participate and the authorities weren't scared. Well, so, it's great theater. It's great theater, and it's a great way to get people curious about what what is this? How do I get involved? <laughs> right? So it's all part so, of the, the propaganda as well. So we have death, the rebirth, the harvest, and then it starts over. And then it starts and, over. And, yes. It's extremely so, significant, <laughs> especially in ancient times. See, so our Mother Earth is still here and in a way we're still trying to do the same thing. Right, so we see Demeter and Kor all throughout Sicily when you're traveling through. Um, see, the cult of Demetra and Persephone spreads throughout the whole Mediterranean. Call it whatever you want, but as we mentioned, it goes from one city to another. But maybe Enna, being the highest part in the center of the country from, what the, the ancient historians tell us from Cicero uh, to Diodoro Siculo, they write about this magnificent temple at the very top of this cliff, um, which was dedicated to Demetra. Today, I hate to say, is gone. Totally gone. Any, totally gone. There's but the maybe views like are still there. <laughs> the views are still and, there. And I think when you see the views and you are on top of where the foundation of this temple was and you see that, you really realize the importance of Demeter and, and her cult. Because from there, she could see everything. It's like the, the 360 degree panorama is incredible. She saw her earth. It's her. Beauty. Absolutely. Wheat fields and wheat fields and wheat fields. Oh, all below. gorgeous. Mm -hmm. So in regards to the temples of Demetra, all the cities had uh, a temple dedicated to Demetra, of course, just like the cities had uh, temples dedicated to all of the other gods. Therefore, if you want to see the temple of Demetra today, there is one. Of course, it's not in great condition, but it's there. And I'd like to tell you how and why it was found. Let's say it was an accident. Yes. On August 28th, 1953, in a little tiny, tiny house in one of the little back streets uh, right across from the uh, Paolo Orsi Museum, 
a family of actually they were newlyweds, Mr. and Mrs. Yanunzo, that's their last name. Their children are still alive, by the way. They'd been given a gift for their uh, wedding. And still today, still today, even the young couple that, you know, gets married, somebody in the family close to them, usually it's the grandmother or an aunt, usually it's a woman that does this, will give as a wedding gift the uh, an image of the Virgin Mary, Jesus, St. Joseph, the Holy Family. Usually, mm-hmm. usually it's the Virgin Mary. Why? Fertility. There we are again. So Mrs. Yanuso received a tiny, tiny little, it's not a painting. It's about seven by eight. Mm-hmm. It's small. Inches. You're and talking in inches. That's important. Inches. <laughs> Sorry, inches. No, I hate inches. You think in inches. It's okay. Yes. And they, this, the, the wedding gift gets hung over the bed. Of course. Reproduction. <laughs> right. And it protects you while you sleep. Well, Mrs. Yanusa was pregnant and uh, she had been told that she suffered from um, oh, um, uh, a disease. Well, and uh, because of this, she had been told to stay home and stay in bed. Her husband went off to work on that day, on August 28th. And um, as she laid in bed, the painting cried. Right. She felt she felt the tears or something. Or wet. She was wet. Okay. So she thought toxemia. That's what it was. Yes, toxemia. When you have right. toxemia. Your, it, it is said by the experts that you could hallucinate too. She mm-hmm. was so frightened that she took the painting off the wall and said, I'm, I'm really not well, and put it in the drawer and waited for the husband to return home so that she could go see a doctor or something to help her. When this poor man returns home, she tells him what had occurred. And he you know, is like, I, can you imagine? Your wife says, the painting is crying. The painting, yeah. is crying. the painting is crying. And so he opened the drawer and he saw it too. So he had toxemia too? I don't know. Within uh, six hours, the whole entire city of Siracusa knew about the weeping Madonna. Wait, well, they called the priest first, right? Didn't they they called the priest. The priest <laughs> called the archbishop. In other words, so forth and so on. Um, there were so many people that came with the painting that they hung it outside the door of the house. People came and collected the tears. Everybody saw it. And um, may I say that my dad did too? <gasps> no, that's my amazing. Dad. That's amazing. In fact, he always says, I don't believe in all those people, but I believe in the Virgin Mary because I saw it. So. People collected. And they proved that it was human tears too, right? Exactly. Some scientist took a sample of the of the of the tears. Actually, human tears. (laughs) Salt, salt, and salt and protein. Once they uh, did this, though, the Vatican had sent a young man, a young priest, to see what was happening. But the young priest never came forward to say, I was sent by the Vatican. He didn't do that. He wasn't allowed to. Mm. He was in, in incognito. 
incognito. So he held the Virgin Mary in his hands. Now, nice story. Um, I wasn't born yet, but I want, I believe it's true because my father told me so. I sure, sure. Not only that, but there's uh, a sanctuary to prove the crying of the Virgin Mary. And you're saying, well, how is that proof? There's documents. We have so much information. There's a film. It's, it's all there. So at that point, it was time to build a sanctuary in honor of the weeping Madonna of Siracusa. Right. And I have to say that now that I know this story, I, I always was not a fan of this tear-shaped no. well, uh, French let me tell architecture. You, let me tell you a secret, Allison. Nobody likes it. I, I know. <laughs> The Virgin cried in 1953, it's 1971, and finally, the, uh, the, the church, the city of Syracuse, the authorities, the two French people that won the bid, finally say, okay, now we can start building. <laughs> it took 20, over 20 years for them to put their act together so that they could finally start building this place. They start to and meanwhile, and meanwhile, pilgrims and pilgrims and pilgrims from all over the world are coming to see this crying. Every thing. year, we still we still do that. Right. Well, and that's why this building exists. But go Absolutely. on. So, so in 1971. But what? In 1971, mm -hmm. they start building the church. I'm going to go back to 1907. In the early uh, 1900s, finally. Finally, the authorities realized that the city of Syracuse was a huge archaeological park. Huge. First the real place. <laughs> the whole thing is an art, yeah. The first real true um, archaeologist to officially start digging in Syracuse was a man named Paolo Orsi. And it's not a coincidence that the museum is named after him. No, he's, he's a... Paolo, Paolo oh, Orsi's studies bring him to Siracusa because Paolo Orsi, believe it or not, was so taken with the cult of Demetra, and that's the major reason why he comes to Siracusa, and of course all of the other archaeological sites that we have are there thanks to him. But this man in Siracusa began to dig high and low to look for the temple of Demetra. And could not find it, right? He didn't find it. No. He found the Greek theater. He found the ear of Dionysius. He found he found uh, the temple uh, outside of the city walls, the the extra urban temple uh, dedicated to Zeus. He found left and right, but he never found the temple of Demetra. And he was so like, "There's got he, he dies. It's got to be somewhere." The guy <laughs> dies. He dies, and he never finds this beautiful temple. Soon after him. Bernabo Brea searches for the temple dedicated to Demetra. Doesn't find it either. In 1971, lo and behold, the authorities um, get into this huge argument as to where are we going to put this thing. Right, but where are you going to put the sanctuary for the Madonna of the Tears? Where are, where you are we it? going to put it? 
Well, Ortigia, no, there's no room. Up on the higher part of the city, no, it's too far up. The only place was Piazza della Vittoria. Mm -hmm. That was the only place at the time that could accept this modern, brand new building. And as they began to dig, guess what they found? The Temple of Geneva. It's there. Yeah. It's behind the sanctuary. But once it was discovered, there was no way that the authorities were going to allow the two Frenchmen to go and pour cement. So everything came to a stop again. They went to the highest of the authorities. It took another four years. And in the end, it was decided that they were going to push back the building, the modern one, so as to be able to leave that space open. And if you go to Siracusa, you can see the Temple of Geneva. It's still there. I mean, we know it's that because of all of the statuettes they found. Thousands and thousands of statues dedicated to Geneva. And she's holding wheat and the little pig. Yeah. And the pig, the pig also represents fertility. Oh, by the way, finally in 1992, the sanctuary was completed, the new one. I don't know if you know this, but John Paul II came to consecrate the sanctuary. In order for a sanctuary to be a sanctuary, it has to be consecrated by the Pope. See, and I was there, I went. It rained like never before, incredible. But during um, his sermon, he surprised everybody. In fact, everyone went, oh, all together. It was incredible. Um, for the first time ever, John Paul II announced that the priest that had held the Virgin Mary in his hands in 1953 in Siracusa was himself. <gasps> no! See? Although she was born in Palazzolo Acriede in the province of Siracusa, Rosa Rizzo's story isn't so straightforward. At seven years old, after her first year of school with the nuns at the Church of San Paolo in her town nestled deep in the Iblean Mountains, Rosa's parents sold their home and bought their way to the United States. Her family settled in Connecticut, where she received her elementary and secondary education. The day after her graduation from Plainville High School, Rosa returned to Sicily and has never looked back. Possessed with moxie and a strong will, in between breastfeeding and making mortgage payments, Rosa earned her undergraduate degree in art history from University of Catania, and inspired by Mount Etna, Europe's largest and most active volcano, she later completed a two-year specialization in volcanology, also at University of Catania. Thank you for joining me for On Sicily. This is Alison Scola. Please visit experiencesicily.com for more on Sicily.